Breakers. I am Mike Senior and I am here with chicken charmer extraordinaire John Whitten <laughs> for the 26th episode of Project Studio Tea Break. It's true, my name is John Whitten and I'm here with influencer with the it guy himself, <laughs> king of TikTok, Mike Senior. I have to begin <laughs> by congratulating you because by any metric on this one... Oh, <laughs> technically you've won this one. Well, yeah, but there's everything to play for. <laughs> I mean, we've still got a whole week left. This is true. So far, I'm ahead on the video number count, but, you know, Team Nick could make a last-minute dash for the finish line. You have one more video than me at the moment, mm. but what I'm congratulating you for is your astronomical... I didn't know the counter could go this high. Mm. 36 likes. I know. I mean, it's beyond my comprehension. Double digits. I've maxed out my fingers and toes. Miley Cyrus tweeted a, a well done. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just a huge, huge number. Team Nick, we're up there and in there with 21 likes. It's by no <laughs> means a shabby showing. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I gave it my very best. I gave it my all. But can I tell you what I think puts you over the top? Oh, okay. The one that just says to me, this isn't a hobby for you. This isn't a game. <laughs> you are a content creator. You are an influencer. Mm. It's your <laughs> aleatoric music with a dandelion video. That's <laughs> bloody brilliant. That's amazing. That's it for me. I thought you would like that. The moment you said that you challenged anyone to do it, uh, that light went off that said, I'm bloody doing that. <laughs> but then I thought, oh, is it actually ethical to like kill lots of insects? And <laughs> In the pursuit of TikTok fame. And weirdly, you went for a no, which seems entirely against the grain of the TikTok ethos. Yeah, I mean, that should, if anything, show my lack of suitability for TikTok <laughs> superstardom. But there you are. There you are. A full, at time of recording, 15 uh, likes ahead of me. I mean, it was unreasonable amounts of fun, it has to be said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you enjoyed. What? surprised you about the experience of kind of putting out two media things a, a week? Well, I mean, the thing is, it happened to coincide with my birthday this last month. Oh, happy birthday, Mike. I didn't know that. Thank you. So, you know, after I'd opened my telegram from the Queen, mm -hmm. I decided to uh, spend basically the whole day just dossing around <laughs> and uh, <laughs> doing TikTok videos and, and pretty much recruited the entire family in one form or another. I could tell there was a few team members uh, brought in. Oh, and the the chicken answer video, I have um, my wife to thank for that one. She she totally <laughs> aced that idea. How on earth did you get the cat over? That's my big question. God, it didn't have to take some rehearsals. Actually, I must post some <laughs> of the outtakes. Yes, please. <laughs> there were so many of the cat, like, running past me or not emerging at all ever into frame and <laughs> me kind of corpsing. It was only by precariously perching a small bowl of kibbles between my crossed legs that I was able to lure him in. <laughs> That's the secret. In terms of remarkable cast and crew, though, I want to know who the incredible Foley artists on Waxing at Home <laughs> because that was some voice acting tour de force. Well, I mean, that was live voice acting. Oh, really? That was a one-take wonder, that was. That wasn't studio work that you layered on top. <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 no. Well, a, a huge thanks to whoever that was, although I do understand if they want to go kind of nameless, mm. um, uncredited, <laughs> for the sake of their future career. But didn't you recognise me? That was you! It totally was. <laughs> you see, you have clearly underestimated the breadth of my vocal talent. I, I have. Now, this leads me on to one of the reasons why I deserve my tea break this month. Oh, yeah. Which is that 
And now don't be jealous. I'm going to try. But I've just launched another regular podcast. Okay, I'm a little bit upset. It's only a solo podcast, but it is because uh, Sound on Sound have just launched three new podcast channels and they're going heavily into podcasting. Oh, exciting. Yes, and so they they very kindly asked me to do a series of tutorial podcasts for them. And so I've just output the first one of those. What are you tutorialing in particular? Well, I mean, this one's about snare compression, but there's going to be various recording and mixing things. Very heavily like audio example led. Can I pitch that if you were a real audiophile <laughs> with with a backbone and courage, that they would all be about snare compression? <laughs> Please just do an extended years-long series. <laughs> Nothing would make me happier. Welcome back to our... <laughs> where we've tightened the snare wires another turn. On this week's episode, a ratio of 1.16. <laughs> But this is what brings me back to this whole like voice range thing because this podcast uses my special uh, serious podcasting voice. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> and although the podcast's quite new, it has already received one review on iTunes. Oh yeah. And uh, here's what I had to say: It said, "I've only heard episode one, but so far I'll note two things. One, it has very useful instruction and advice with great quality audio to back it up. Very helpful. Excellent stuff. Two. Mike Senior sounds like Ed Miliband. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very nice start, but I'm not sure there's anything they could do to soften the blow of that second half. (laughs) Yea, verily the internet giveth and the internet taketh away. (laughs) (laughs) That's cruel. You know, true or not, it's unkind. I don't even like bacon sandwiches. Could us Project Studio Tea Break listeners, who certainly have never heard your serious podcasting voice, just get a little taste of that? Oh, crumbs. I mean, this is a whole register change. Um, Here we go, here we go. <coughs> of course, there are several... Um... <laughs> it's such a difficult switch. Okay, I'm going for it, I'm going for it. Here we go. Deep breath, Mike. Breathe into the bag. <laughs> Of course, you may have noticed that the pre-delay control on your reverb has quite a wide setting, but often I just leave that... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness! Like a whole episode. It's a whole new person. It is. Podcasting split personality disorder. Yeah, this is magnificent. And I never met this man, but I'm intrigued by him. And I want him to tell me everything about snare compression. Mm. You started a new podcast. How else have you earned your tea break? Well, the other thing is that in Sound on Sound for the last almost 10 years, I've been writing a regular monthly column called The Mixed Review. Mm -hmm. That is basically doing production critique about commercial releases. Baby Shark was was a brilliant one. Of course, was a high point of the the mixed review canon. Mm-hmm. This thing's been running in SOS for almost 10 years. And I only realized the other day that because every month there are about four or five reviews in the magazine. Mm. That that's pretty much a weekly blog. Mm. And I'd wanted to kind of introduce more links and players and all sorts of stuff in with those reviews and audio examples and diagrams and whatever else. Mm-hmm. And so basically I've relaunched the Mixed Review now as a website. Oh, fun. And just launched that a few days ago. Where is it? It is at themixreview, or one word, dot org. And is there back catalogue there? That's the whole deal. Oh. I hadn't actually counted them until doing the website, but there are 480 previous critiques <laughs> stretching back almost 10 years. Oh, my goodness. And they all have, like, YouTube and Spotify players. They all have Wikipedia links. A lot of them have diagrams and things with them. It's all searchable. Are there any, besides obviously Baby Shark, are there any particular stonkers 
that you'd recommend people uh, find their way to? I mean, there, there are some that I critiqued where it just seemed that there were clearly things that were broken. Mm. Like Hilary Hahn did a record where she's playing solo violin and it sounds like different notes are coming from different positions in the stereo picture, <laughs> which is just really weird. Hey, she might have just been running around while she plays. There's a rudimental track where all the bass is on one side. <laughs> Really? Well, not all the bass, but it's like 9 dB louder on the left channel. <laughs> That's a fun choice. There's one that I'm pretty much convinced the version on the CD was mastered from an MP3. Oh. Because you can hear the kind of crunchy compression artifacts of the size channel. What, when you isolate the sides? Yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, I am not a, um, a mix engineer by any stretch of the imagination, but I have relatively recently been introduced to the idea of mid-sides processing. Mm. So I'm in that phase, which I think everyone has to have at some stage, where um, anytime there's a chorus... Hmm? you just whack up the sides by 300%. <laughs> and it sounds like the widest, most expansive. This is <laughs> the button I've been searching for my entire life. The make it bigger. <laughs> you know, not, not louder, just like yeah. bigger. Yeah. So I don't think there's a track that I have put together for the last three or four months that doesn't have a top line of automation on my mid-sides, which starts with it really low, starts with it and then jumps it up and then tries to sneak it down when you're not looking so that I can jump it up again later. Yeah. So that, that's how I feel about mid-sides. So how have you earned your tea break this month, John? I started work last week at the Jam Factory. Good. Which, Good. as I've had to specify to everyone to whom I've told this story, is not a music venue. It's it's a factory that makes jam. Ah. Which which is all good. COVID doing what it does to live performance. Right. Um, so I have been crushing these huge bricks of pureed fruit, which is quite a lot of fun. Cool. Especially because the crusher is a huge barrel blade. Wow. Yeah? So we're tossing these things into a, a sarlacc pit of twisting metal. Good Star Wars reference. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> and the barrel blade, if it tried to cut all along its length at the same time, it would kind of have to do a huge amount more force. So instead, mm. the blade is offset and it appears at four different points on the barrel. Okay. The great thing about that is that by chucking blocks in at different places, you can make it play rhythms. Because <laughs> essentially what you You've got there is a four-beat drum machine. Wow. And so <laughs> if you chuck a few bricks to the far left, mm. then you can get a steady beat on the one. And then you just decide where the other ones are. But it's a little bit crazy. It's a little bit modular because as it's chopping, it'll chuck up these bricks yeah. and kind of catch them on different ones. And sometimes it'll get a bit tired and you'll get some swing coming in there. So <laughs> I've been having way more fun than is reasonable. Oh wow. <laughs> trying to program this most destructive of drum machines to play to my will. I mean, it's practically TikTok ready. <laughs> if I wouldn't get instantly fired for having a phone in the warehouse, then uh, <laughs> I absolutely would. Mm. Also, I'm like 30% sure that I would drop my phone in there. Yes. Not there's any particular reason to, it's just this is what happens to me. There's a magnetic draw of destructive objects on phones. There just is. I don't take my phone within a meter of a bath, even if it's empty. Mm. It's just not worth doing. Terrible things will happen. But yes, from that if that alone, I've earned my tea break. God, yeah. Much more than I have sitting around here on my, on my ass doing TikTok videos. <laughs> now, we cannot possibly finish the intro of our podcast. Clearly not. We've been at it for 45 minutes. Without announcing the exciting news that we have a new patron. Another new patron? Yes. 
Heavens! We have Daniel! Uh, welcome to the fold! And in fact, Daniel is a friend of mine. Oh, amazing! We've known each other for quite a while, and he's the guy who does a lot of the photos and videos for my SOS stuff and for the Cambridge MT stuff. Oh, cool! And so you know how I'm talking about the serious SOS podcasting voice? Yeah, yeah. Well, he also knows the SOS handshot face. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you must have seen. <laughs> now, you know the idea of a handshot in SOS? Yes, absolutely. It's a picture of someone doing something. Knob twiddling. Or moving a microphone or adjusting a lead or doing something. Yeah. And these are almost never shots that are actually taken while you're doing it. They're always <laughs> shots that after the fact you think, well, you know, I did this thing. We should really have something to illustrate that point. Mm. And then after the fact, you go over to this microphone stand and pretend that you're moving it. <laughs> And so, in fact, it's exactly the same in television production. You know, whenever you see Gardener's World, right, and he's talking in front of this plant, mm. and he's got his secateurs, and, he says, and you just prune it like this, and then it switches to a close-up shot of the thing being pruned. <laughs> yes. That's all done after the fact, and then cut it. So it's like that. And there's a kind of a face that I now call my <laughs> SOS handshot face. There's between, like, smouldering in intensity and, and eye lasers glare. <laughs> This kind of serious and is focused on what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Because the problem is, it looks really weird if you have one of those functional shots and you're smiling. Oh, interesting. So there is always that moment where I have to compose the SOS handshot face. <laughs> so Daniel knows all about this. If Daniel has any outtakes of you getting into this handshot face, I think those need to be shared kind of as widely as possible. Sadly, all of those have mysteriously been digitally shredded. Have they now? <laughs> well, look. I run our Twitter, so just hit me up on there. <laughs> Here at the Project Studio Tea Break News Desk, we had sad news back in March mm. when the European Broadcasting Union reluctantly announced the cancellation of 2020's Eurovision Song Contest. <sighs> After 64 years of uninterrupted bonkers fabulousness. <laughs> So, the event had been planned in May in, in Rotterdam, mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately Dutch restrictions on large gatherings made it impossible to host it, even without an audience. Right. Because they always need a lot of technical people. Because the lighting does tend to be a little um, yeah. enthusiastic. <laughs> Those glitter cannons don't man themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, Rotterdam will hold the competition, but only in 2021. And many of the same artists have already confirmed that they will return. Okay. But because of Eurovision regulations, they can't come back with the same songs. Oh. So they all have to have different songs. That will be interesting to see, yeah, what, what have they learned? How do they build? Mm. And so there is no Eurovision winner this year. No. Interesting. But never fear, John. Uh, well, no, I, I wasn't fearing, but now you've said that, I'm full of fear. Dry your glittery tear streaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because I bring news of a new international song contest <laughs> that did manage to go ahead last month. And I've sent you, through the interweb, a selection of entrants as well as the winner. Yes. Now, I have so many questions. <laughs> what is this competition? <laughs> well, I was wondering whether you might have any ideas. I don't. So let me tell you what I heard, listeners. Yeah. Mike sent me a few clips of different entries and, and the winner. The entries, most of them sounded very modern. Mm. This is sort of new hip-hop slow jam stuff, mm. reasonably produced, except for one, which was a duet between a man and a, a woman. 
somewhere in the realms of like islands in the stream. It was <laughs> yeah. a real throwback. They were singing about love and they were singing about how they were singing the song and that was to do with love. It was very wholesome and <laughs> hugely out of place. Popped through a, a wormhole from 50 years ago. There's one of them that sounded for all the world like London grammar. Yeah, yeah. so it, there was a, a bit of a smorgasbord of the moment sounds. Yeah. And then the winner, which I have to say I really enjoyed. Mm. especially coming from a place of, of having listened to the others, um, <laughs> which sounded like a tribute to Imogen Heap. Ah, okay. It was magnificent. They swapped octaves, every other word, but not in a kind of power metal sort of way, mm. in a bit more of a glitch pop programmed something. The words were weird and very nearly didn't make sense, mm. but then kind of did for the first half and then went into like a hippie nature Ode to Mother Earth in the second half. Mm. It was strange, but do you know why I loved it? I loved it because it was the first song that didn't sound like it wanted me to like it. It didn't sound like it was trying to impress me. It sounded like a fun idea someone had just had inside and then sparkled out and recorded. And I, I, I loved that. Okay. Now, I am just about to f*** with your mind. Oh, no. <laughs> what, what have I committed myself to? <laughs> because... This was a song competition, the aim of which was to create a new Eurovision-style hit with the help of AI. <gasps> it was the 2020 AI Song Contest. That is... <laughs> that I need more. I, I wait. <laughs> 13 teams from all over the world, Sweden, Belgium, UK, France, Germany, Switzerland, Netherlands, and Australia competed. Mm. They were all groups of musicians and computer scientists and data scientists and researchers who were trying to incorporate elements of AI with human intervention to try and create music that was as much AI as they could get away with while getting a good result. Okay. So kind of AI collaboration in some respects. Mm -hmm. The jury was made up of a panel of AI experts and also a popular vote. <laughs> okay. And then those two scores were collated to create the winner. What an incredible idea. So the popular winner was also the overall winner. Okay. Which was the Australian entry, which is the one, the one you like called Beautiful the World. <laughs> Uh, by the team Uncanny Valley. Yes, okay, Uncanny Valley is a very good name <laughs> for whoever it was that made that. And they used AI to generate all the melody and all the lyrics. Really? And it was <laughs> trained exclusively on Eurovision songs. That surprises me. <laughs> Interesting. And then they incorporated audio elements from another neural network. <laughs> this is the, my favourite detail. This is the kicker. That was trained with the audio of native animals, including koalas, kookaburras, and <laughs> Tasmanian devils. You know what? It worked. <laughs> I, I maintain. <laughs> but you see, I think the reason why it worked so well is because of the human intervention they brought in. Right. Right. Because then they had like real vocalists and they had a couple of producers, one of whom's worked for like Sia and Darren Hayes, another one who's done stuff for Apex Twin and Fortet. Okay, yeah. So they were all coming in and then making it all pull together into something that actually sounded like a really good production. It felt to me there was definitely human production elements. Mm -hmm. The thing I loved about the Australian entry is that in the little blog post that accompanied it, <laughs> they had a quote... It had to be a song you could play on your guitar around a campfire. <laughs> and I immediately thought, yeah, because that's how we'll all be living when the robots eventually take over. <laughs> yes. That's all we'll be left with. I think that's fair. And the other thing was that a lot of the people who did these songs, they fed them with Eurovision-inspired material. 
Mm. But uh, the one team from the Netherlands, the Can AI Kick It team, who did actually that slow jammy number. Okay. They actually generated their lyrics from Reddit. <laughs> oh, well, that's uh, dangerous. Okay. And unsurprisingly, they were significantly less positive. <laughs> I mean, I presume they did a certain amount of editing, but they still included lines such as, I'm so sick of being lied to, but the Lord is not a saint. And <laughs> we want revolution, constant change. <laughs> Kill the government. <laughs> kill the system. Although I tell you what, I would watch that Eurovision episode. <laughs> I would go out and buy that single if someone on a Eurovision stage got quite that political. And also, that entry, they uh, they initially generated the music via AI, training it on pop songs and everything, and also, bizarrely, a database of Dutch folk songs. <laughs> <laughs> but then they went through another stage. They took those melodies and bass lines, mm. and then they got them shortlisted via another research project that was done at the University of Amsterdam mm. by a researcher called Ashley Burgoyne, and it's called the Eurovision Hit Predictor. Oh, wow! It's kind of a data research project. That's really exciting. So how good are they at predicting Eurovision hits? I mean, I assume they've done it kind of retrospectively, but they, apparently they favour hooks with three to seven notes and simple rhythmic patterns, but also a certain level of atonality. I debate that. I... That's what they said. It's science. It must be right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was also fitting that the um, United Kingdom entry from the Brentry team, <laughs> brilliantly. Amazing. <laughs> called um, Hope Rose High, I think it's called. Mm. And that that's the one that sounds like London Grammar or kind of a cross between London Grammar and Joy Division. So I thought it was quite fitting. I think so. I'm not sure what they fed it with, but it must have been, you know, homegrown to say the least. Mm, mm. And who was it who put out that love duet? That's also the Netherlands. Schumann and Angel Eye, I Write a Song, where the lyrics, melodies and chords were all AI generated. Impressive. But the team then kind of edited and compiled and reordered them. Okay. And I kind of think, well... Actually, if you just gave me a list of chords and words, yeah. you could do practically anything with them if you really had a go. God, it's a weird intersectional place, isn't it? But I think that's what's good about them having like a popular vote and a jury vote. Right. That they can take in both those issues of how much AI overuse and how clever it is, and the popular vote could be more about how good a song is this. Yeah. I suppose that outside of the context of this competition, it could just be a useful creative tool. I think I've said before, I've always found it easier to edit than to create from nothing. I can improve a bad idea much more easily than I can just come up with one. Yes. And so maybe having a, a computer that can spit out a pretty rubbish song yeah. that you can work on is going to be useful for a workflow, mm. for a, a way to create. I mean, it does mean that you'll always have a kind of a Microsoft co-write though, won't you? <laughs> Yes, Clippy on the PRS. <laughs> now, out of this whole discussion, though, I did finally find myself considering one philosophical question here, which is, mm. given the quality of what we saw in the AI Song Contest, how long will it be before these two competitions actually emerge? Oh. The AI Song Contest and the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, that's a very good question. Because, <laughs> I mean, surely it's possible to start synthesising Eurovision hits by now. <laughs> It kind of feels to me like something that should be generically well easy enough to do. I feel like we're living in the future. Yeah. Did you know there are flying cars now? Really? And I'm, I'm not talking about helicopters. I'm talking about a company in Munich, which is actually making a personal flying car. And they, they have a working prototype. Now, 
it's exploded recently. <laughs> but before that, it did some lovely flying around, and they've got another one. They're just not using it at the moment. They're waiting to work out why the first one exploded. <laughs> but this is absolutely the future. Yep. And as you say, given as how we're in the future, shouldn't we be able to just synthesize Eurovision hits? The question is whether we can synthesize Graham Norton's commentary too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not, only because what else is he going to do? Or if we could synthesise the late Terry Wogan's commentary, we could have a commentary off between the two of them. I'm a bit of a podcast junkie, and I could believe that maybe 50% of what I listen to has been AI generated. Yeah. Because they're sort of soporifics for me. It's a bit of a medicine cabinet, a bit of a Valium bottle for me. Yeah. And if it were just kind of these reassuring, close to your ear voices. Oh, it's the SOS podcast voice. <laughs> <laughs> chatting about frankly inconsequential things mm. I think we may already be there we may already be through the looking glass basically what you're trying to say is that Ed Miliband is computer generated I'm trying to say that <laughs> Ed Miliband is computer generated and that only we are safe mm. Mm. because there's no way that a computer could make sense of us when most humans even can't agreed <laughs> we are the only authentic art left on earth I guess is what I'm saying <laughs> It's time once more to reach deep into the overflowing mailbag of Project Studio Tea Break <laughs> and pick out another listener question. But before we do, I just wanted to share oh. a couple of little questions that I've had this month that have just made my month. Oh, surprise. The first one was, do I need to turn on phantom power to use condensed milk? <laughs> And it's one of those ones that you, you read once and you go, hang on, did I read that right? And you have to read it again to be sure you did. It kind of almost makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And the second one is uh, going, hey, Mike, uh, love your content, etc. I was wondering if by chance you did any kind of fitness, health, wellness related content. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of work all day and forget to eat diet. Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I too late to add to my TikTok challenge that you have to do at least one workout video? Oh, one wow. One kind of home oh, workout. God, I should, should I? <laughs> yes. Okay. I've got it. Lovely. Bloody delicious. Well, so in which case I'll be able to answer that question in the affirmative. Yes. Thank goodness. Say so, yes. Just <laughs> check out my TikTok. If you feel able to type that with your adult grown up hands. Maybe I can copy and paste it from one of my daughter's emails or something. <laughs> I think I think it's for the best. To stay at arm's length. What lovely little quizlets. Anyway, so, yeah, John, now that you've had time to rummage through all those letters. Oh, I've already I've already picked one out, Pride of Place. This one comes to us through our Twitter, PSTB Tweets. Fabulous. Um, is, is that, and it's from Brill Henson, at Brill Henson. He says, Master Breakers. Hello there. Hi there. <laughs> if you had to have incidental music to your whole life <laughs> in any particular genre, or by a particular band. Oh, wow. Which would you choose and why? It's like a life underscore. Yes, absolutely. A live life underscore. Wow. I'm going to say that the musicians aren't there, that it just kind of emanates around you, this sound, at varying volumes. My first thought was a Hans Zimmer sort of thing, just kind of a deeply atmospheric life. Oh, okay. Pregnant with mystery. Action and heroism. Yeah, I think so. So you'd always feel like you were going out to conquer the world. Completely. I mean, just imagine that someone's walking ahead of you and they drop their glove. <laughs> yes. And so you do a little jog over, pick it up and hand it back to them. Imagine the fanfares! Yeah. Imagine the... <laughs> 
<laughs> the bold and bright brilliance of that thing that you just did. But, I mean, it could backfire. Oh, yeah. Because imagine, you're reaching down for the glove, mm. and all of a sudden it goes... Wow. <laughs> You'd be thinking, my God, what's about to happen? You just have to run. <laughs> You'd be worried, wouldn't you? Okay, that's true. So maybe we need something a little bit lighter. Mm. Maybe we do need Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay. Just to give us a pep in our step. I'm, I'm not sure. God, I was kind of going all in on, on Hans Zimmer, but you're right. There's potential for real fear there. I mean, you could go the opposite direction. Okay. I mean, you've gone for the heroism. You've gone for the... Uh, I have. The mystery and epic nature. I was thinking you could go completely the opposite way. And how about you have, like, ragtime played on a honky-tonk piano? Because... <laughs> <laughs> It could turn any situation into a kind of a Benny Hill-style farce. <laughs> yes. Nothing really bad would happen, but there would be mischief. Yeah. Aplenty and, and mild chaos. Slapstick. Even just thinking of that exhausts me because I would be <laughs> at home drinking a cup of tea and I'd start hearing... And I just know that some sort of... I don't know, cheeky vagrant was about to smash through my window. You were about to step in a bucket. Yeah, yeah, and I just think, no, I'm just, I'm just drinking a cup of tea. This seems unfair. Okay, okay. What, what are we even saying? I've got the answer. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm almost sorry to just end the segment on such a perfect answer, mm. but it's lo-fi hip-hop beats to study, relax, and chill to. Okay. Have you come across this YouTube channel? Oh, no, I haven't. Okay. I didn't realise it was a channel. <laughs> YouTube's most popular streaming music channel is called Lo-Fi Hip Hop Radio Beats to Relax slash Study To. Wow. And it is just an endless stream of lo-fi hip-hop beats. They're a little bit wonky. There's always a good chunk of, like, tape hiss. Wow. And slight detune. So basically you always feel like you're in the lyric development montage of 8 Mile. You know what? That would be it. But that you're not that worried about coming up with the lyrics. Hmm. You're alright with the fact that you just might not. Yeah. That feels fine. Yeah, that does sound very appealing. It is. Because you get to feel like you're plugged in. You're hip with the, with the cool cats. With the children. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> but at the same time... This is the music of you walking out into the sunshine mm. after just a really great party the night before. Mm. So you're tired, but you're optimistic. You're hungover, but you've actually got nothing to do for the rest of the day. I've got it playing in the background of my headphones, and already I just feel quite cool. Okay. I mean, do you feel basically like one of the models in the Synth Watch advert? I do. I feel exactly like they do all <laughs> the time, which must be actually a pretty awesome way to live yeah. now that I think about it. <laughs> in fact, I just want to see, to get a gauge on this thing's popularity, it's currently about 10am UK time on a random Monday morning, yeah. and there's more than 35,000 people with this turned on. And it's just it's just brilliant. Wow. It's exactly what it says on the tin. I mean, there is space for things that just do what they say on the tin in that respect, isn't it? I reckon so. And it's not trying to be anything high art. It's not trying to be anything cool as such. It's no. just life underscore. For relaxed, unimportant, but kind of cool people. Um, it's what Juno would be set to if Juno came out now, rather than when everyone was whacking badly tuned guitars. Right. Though I, I do love that film. I'm just trying to think whether there are any other music styles that you could have something like that. I mean, it's difficult because there are so many of those styles that have such negative connotations. Like, you couldn't do it as lounge jazz or easy listening because you'd think you were in a lift the whole time. Lounge jazz was my first thought as well. Maybe you could do it as kind of gentle instrumental folk music or something. That might do it. 
<laughs> yes, just a, a dad gad guitar and a fiddle. Yeah, just doing something soft that you might hear in a massage parlor, and, and with a blanket ban on banjos. Oh, absolutely, nothing twangy, nothing aggressive, <laughs> and a very subtle kind of synth pad just underneath. Slide guitar, please. Oh, ooh, like a lap steel. Mm, mm. That would be delicious. Yeah, I could live with a bit of that. Yeah, which leads me to a part two, which I came up with myself. So the credit on this one goes to John. Oh, right, right. Um, the blame. That too. If you had to play constant incidental music for any person, living or dead, but while they were living, who would it be and why? Oh. Like, this is now your responsibility. You have a fully kitted out studio. And you have to generate the instrumental music for someone else. No one ever said instrumental. If you want to sing songs about what they're doing, then you are welcome to. Now that's a tricky position to put yourself in. I mean, this could be an activist move here. You could choose someone you didn't like <laughs> and stream the most offensive nonsense into their heads 24-7. That does sound like fun. Yes. To be fair, the whole idea of having, no matter how creative a person, providing the underscore to your life 24-7, it would be a kind of a curse. I don't think you could possibly do it for someone you like. You know what? I think that's true. I mean, no matter how much you wanted to please them. But I'm going to say this is not just audible to them. This is audible to everyone around them as well. So. Oh, right. Wow. I'm going to say I think I would have to pick someone who I would trust their activities would be fun to make music to. Oh, okay. So my first thoughts are either like a poet Mm. who I can just do gentle, twinkly stuff while they look at flowers Mm. or a firefighter, someone I can just get out the electric guitar and do power chords. I'm surely it has to be like a professional snowboarder or something. (laughs) Oh, that would be amazing. Actually, yes, because you can put anything to professional snowboarding. Yep. You can do twinkly synth stuff or you can do like heavy rock stuff Mm -hmm. and those are the two genres of music. (laughs) And you can use either of them. I mean, the difficulty would be that the highlights would be really high, but the lowlights would be really low, wouldn't they? <laughs> and particularly at the moment, it'd be oh. like some guy sitting with a damp ski suit, not doing anything at all. Yeah, oh, these last few months must have been awful for the constant backing music of life industry. Underscore community. <laughs> for the underscore community as a whole. It's the kind of being John Malkovich of the audio world, this thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's that's what we are pitching. Yeah, okay, but I'm, I am going to need some kind of answer. Who would you backing track? Okay, well, it would have to be someone I didn't like. Is there anyone you can imagine in this world who you are not fond of? This is the problem with Mike Senior. He loves everyone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. Yeah? I think I would provide the backing track for Simon Cowell. Oh, oh, that's very good. What a gift. That's a very good answer. All you would do is go through his back catalogue <laughs> and find all the stuff that wasn't the singles, <laughs> basically all the other stuff off all the albums. Constant B-sides of his own. And run that on a loop. All the album cuts. Do you remember Rebecca Black? No, I don't think so. So Rebecca Black became an overnight sensation with Friday. Okay. This was a song uh, independently produced by a for-profit music video company that um, you know was paid huge amounts of money by rich families and gave their sons and daughters a chance to... Yeah. And this was the worst song anyone had ever heard. Fabulous. To the extent that it was truly brilliant. 7am, waking up in the morning, got to get up, got to go downstairs, got to have my bowl, got to have cereal. Incredible internal rhyme there. <laughs> it's so very bad. And it became hugely, hugely popular um, because of that. And Simon Cowell picked her up for a second song. Yes. And it should have been a home run. It really should have done. 
And the second song was so dull. <laughs> He'd put in just enough effort to ruin, ruin the good thing we had going, but not enough to create anything musically worth listening to. Yes. And speaking as someone who listened to Friday a good 10, 20 times, yes. I listened to the Simon Cowell track once and walked away. You see, I have this sneaking suspicion that Simon Cowell does all this stuff for a living mm. and then he goes home at the end of the day and he draws himself a steaming bath <laughs> and then puts on like Dark Side of the Moon or something and bathes himself in something more meaningful. And I think it would just be great to this remove is, that exit strategy Moving towards the torturous, but okay. Because the thing is, I think if you were subjected him to that stuff at all times and only switched it off when he was producing something meaningful... Oh, interesting. All of a sudden, you might get this incredible late flowering of Psycho's artistic integrity. So what you are hoping to design here is a shock collar. <laughs> is a shock collar for Simon Cowell of musical quality. And, he... and a shock collar of his own making. That is a powerful idea. It's a kind of a Scrooge-style handmade chain that he's forged for himself in life. <laughs> yes, there you go. I'm Jacob Marley Music Services. Come back to redeem him. <laughs> Come to wreak havoc. I think I'll do the Queen. Oh, the Queen? The, absolutely the Queen. Okay, wow. Because I've just given myself a few session musicians and I would have like, I don't know, French horn, flugelhorn, trumpet mm. and euphonium. Just to make that kind of soft, slow attack, round brass sound, mm. um, which I feel represents the Queen so well. And it would just be fun to put in little kind of fanfaric stabs in between most of her sentences. <laughs> Um, when she was speaking publicly, certainly, but also in her private life. Yes. She could ask for the salt to be passed, and there would just be this very stately, Handelian <laughs> British brass fanfare before and after she spoke. Ta-da! Ta-da! Also, if I ever wanted to get my own music kind of more out there, I'll just make it her theme tune, mm. and thousands of people would hear it every day. Yes. I think she would be a charming person to underscore. There'll be lots of opportunities for restrained and artful work. Yes, absolutely. You'd be unlikely to be having to compete with some massive club banger in the background. <laughs> That's true. And the venues, oh. the venues into which you broadcast that music. Oh my goodness me. My starting point would just be like the toothless works of Vaughan Williams. Right, okay. When, when he was just kind of being inspired by a meadow over there. Green sleeves. Yeah, yeah, all, all that nonsense. Yeah. That's kind of step one, but then you just gradually move towards Max Richter okay, and then Pink Floyd accompanied by an orchestra mm -hmm. then F to Clang you know you, the, the aim is is corn <laughs> you know just a slow evolution to see what you can get away with Now, this man's facepalm is something of a guest facepalm. Oh? Because it's not actually one of mine. Ooh, a twist. But it is so wonderful that I simply can't not feature it. <laughs> as you know, part of um, my sacred duty as a father is to embarrass my kids. I do know that. And so I frequently get the look from my daughters. <laughs> it's somewhere between an eye roll and an eyebrow raise mm -hmm. and a sigh, all that kind of roll up in one expressive visage. <laughs> but when things get really bad, it has begun to be accompanied by an actual face palm, mm -hmm. the slap of palm on forehead. Mike, wh what are you doing to these poor people? Well, it's just being a dad. You know, dad jokes, that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I can't actually remember what triggered this particular one. Mm -hmm. But just the other day, I did something typically mortifying, <laughs> causing my daughter <laughs> to facepalm herself. Mm -hmm. But she missed and poked herself in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and she immediately noticed that she'd basically facepalmed a facepalm. Yes, she had committed a facepalm through facepalmation. And for a moment there, I was actually worried that, you know, the fabric of the universe might collapse in on itself because of the circularity of a facepalmed facepalm. Is it kind of a facepalm squared? Yes, yeah, facepalm upon a facepalm. So does that does that mean that your dad joke was actually good? Like, I, I'm trying to work out the, the implications. Uh, surely the implication is, so bad it's good. Yes, if you facepalm a facepalm in response to a facepalmic action or joke. Yes. Now, has said daughter recovered? Yes, uh, thankfully it wasn't life-threatening. I, I more meant her dignity. but um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure that's ever going to recover <laughs> right. under the circumstances. <laughs> And as What's Your Jam hoves into sight, it's time for some topical toast foley. Here goes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I need to shut up so that you can do that. <laughs> Listeners, I got the visual on that before the audio came. Sorry, okay. I'm going to shut up and you do it again. <laughs> that is just brilliant. Especially because I've made that sound. Well, it is a sound that any unshaven live streamer has experienced <laughs> as their stubble <laughs> scrapes against the foam windscreen of their microphone. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Mm. And what sort of toast would you say that evokes? Because we've had mm. white sliced, we've had granary whole. I mean, I think that's because of the softness of it. I think it's maybe a little bit whole mealy, but it's still a sliced loaf mm. and it's not been toasted quite enough. So so it's still quite soft. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I see that. Kind of warmed bread. Well, you think, shall I put it in for another 15 seconds or not? I always do. I don't care if I'm late for work. I always do because mm. warmed but not toasted bread is just one of the most upsetting things to me. <laughs> it's wrong. It's wrong on many levels. Although I love warm, fresh bread, so I don't even know what's going on there. Mm. But I'm going to wrench myself away from um, from this fascinating topic yes. to bring us the very finest jam. Jam to redeem such an unpromising slice of bread. Yes, yes. With this jam, even this bread is going to taste like some artisanal sourdough that you paid six quid for mm. at a corner bakery. So um, about a year ago, I was delivering a course on story writing in song, okay. which was really good fun. And the way I started it, the, the very beginning of the course, mm. is that everyone was given the challenge to, in 10, 15 minutes, write a song with three verses and you know a chorus that repeats and a bridge if they wanted one, Okay, which told the story of a man rescuing a gas station clerk from an armed robbery mm. and um, everyone had a go and it was good fun and then we shared what there was and what they all had in common is that the fight was the song yes we had variations on kind of ninja fight scenes of hiding behind shop displays and mm. shots fired and <laughs> Epic. dive rolling and, and all the rest and there was some great stuff in there yep and then I played a song called Hometown Hero by Andy Schauf okay this is one of my favorite examples of storytelling in song and it tells the story of a anonymous man yeah. rescuing a gas station clerk from an armed gunman mm. in hometown hero the fight takes one line <laughs> it goes and before he could think he was tackling the gunman who hit his head and was knocked unconscious blimey that's it and the whole rest of the song is building this character because you see him at the bar where he was before and you hear him telling jokes to the other people at the bar then he heads out for a pack of cigarettes by himself and it just sets this kind of small town America vibe yeah. which is so beautiful that when you get to the dramatic action you know the people involved and or at least you know this person involved and you're really invested in it yeah all of which leads me to 
Andy Schauf is the finest musical storyteller that I know. I feel about him how I wish I felt about Bob Dylan. Oh, God. How I wish I felt about Leonard Cohen. Oh, wow. I can I can admit the shameful secret of not really getting Bob Dylan. Really? Fabulous. Okay, yes. We're all friends here. We don't have to anymore. We've got Andy Schauf. Yeah, and I really get this. I'm so, so glad. I, Leonard Cohen's the same. He's a brilliant author. Beautiful Losers is the quintessential American novel to my mind. But yeah. his songs, they just don't speak to me the way they speak to so many other people. Mm. Andy Schauf, is a, he's a storyteller with a guitar. His latest album is called Neon Skyline. I must have listened to it seven or eight times in the last week and a half. It's only about 40 minutes long, 35, 40 minutes long. Yeah, 35, yeah. But what's interesting is that coming to it for the first time... I couldn't listen to it all in one go. Interesting. I actually had to go back because it's one of those very, very rare records where I felt I'd maybe missed one of the lyrics and I wasn't sure quite what he said and I felt I had to know what it was to actually understand what was going on. So I should just say, Neon Skyline, it's a concept album. It's an evening in the life of a protagonist uh, and the songs kind of take you through that evening. Mm. Now, I also sent Mike because Mike is a busy, important man. <laughs> I also sent a suggested editor summary, mm. which was three or four tracks. And I said, these will get you the story. So did you go for the whole album or did you go for that editorial summary? No, I went through the whole album. Oh, wow. Start to end. Mike, I'm so excited. And it's brilliant. I agree. <laughs> Listeners, this is that moment when your friend has actually consumed that piece of media that you're really <laughs> excited about. Okay. Tell me about your listening of Neon Skyline. It reminded me a great deal of my favourite bits of Paul Simon. Right, yeah. Things like 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of very roundabout stuff where the story's being told almost obliquely. I mean, the thing I like about 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover is that the whole song is supposedly about them discussing 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, but actually the story is going on kind of subtextually in that clearly there's a seduction going on, but that's not said. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about this one is that there's so much that isn't said and yeah. that so few words are used often to express what he's talking about yeah and there were just some wonderful turns of phrase like in the opening song I think he makes himself a slice of toast and he chews his way out the door <laughs> yes it's just such a great way of combining the idea of okay he's eating his food as he's going so he's on the go that he's chewing as he goes and that he's going out of the house out of the door yeah chew as a verb you would never normally use in that thing. And he's combined all that stuff into fewer words than were necessary. This was a thread that I think came through the whole record for me, was that it was always like he seemed to be using words to get across much more meaning than you would reasonably expect that number of words to provide. And as you said, the words that were chosen often don't even directly reference the thing that's happening. Mm. You know, it's all in the telling, so I don't think there's any disservice to you to know that this is a story about someone whose ex is back in town. Mm. He goes out to a bar he runs into her they go bar hopping a bit and then she heads off like nothing happens mm. nothing happens at all but like a lot of the best personal drama bits of art yes they're about nothing happening in a really meaningful way in a really meaningful way because I mean that's basically French cinema <laughs> <laughs> I will, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> but if you've ever read Raymond Carver, okay. um, he has the same way of not saying what's happening and, and making it very clear at the same time. Mm. There's a lovely couplet most of the way through, which is, she touches the sleeve of my coat and says, I've missed this. And I say, I know I've missed you too. And she says, I was actually talking about the coat. I know, and that was one of the lines I actually wrote out when I was listening to it. <laughs> That I, I really wanted to draw attention to because it is so brilliant. That's the album in a line. I actually genuinely laughed out loud. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> While listening to this, it's actually quite a, an affecting piece of work in general sense, but to find yourself laughing out loud at doing something for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was that was really, really good. Now, I'd love to know, what, what are these other moments that, that you've kind of put down for bringing out? There were a few things that I really liked. I loved how there's a tremendous tension. Mm. It really feels dramatic. You really want to hear what's going to happen next. Mm. And that's such a rarity in any kind of form of storytelling, let alone songwriting. Yeah. Like in the song uh, Things I Do, the first minute of the song works up to this point where he turns up unexpected and she says, what the hell are you doing here? Mm -hmm. And then he just kind of leaves you hanging and goes off to some 30-second instrumental. You go, come on, come on, I really want to know what happened next <laughs> and that's a really hard trick to pull off yes i just thought that was so impressive things i do it's got this structure of every third and fourth line is why do i do the things i do when i know that i'm losing you yes so you only get two more lines of story and then you're back to that again and you have to wait and you're right you want to know what's happening because this is now um a flashback yes Agnes is remembering some part of the past relationship and you're finally getting a, a window into why it was so strange when she came through the door. I love the dissonance as well between often what's going on with the music and what's going on with the words. Mm. It's almost easy listening at some points. Mm -hmm. And then you get these really like hard-hitting lyrics of calling someone an or how hard is it to give a shit or something, you know? <laughs> and you, you're thinking, well, should I be feeling what I'm hearing or not? Mm. And I think the dissonance that is created between the way he does the music and the words he's using is often, I think, really powerful. I love that you brought up dissonance because the beginning of the first song is a guitar chord over a bass line and it is dissonant. It's wrong. Yeah. And then it goes into a, a consonant song. But I feel so prepared by that very, very beginning. This is going to be stripped down and a bit uncomfortable. Yes. The uncomfortable element of it is definitely there. Yeah. In fact, while I was listening to the song 13 Hours, I wrote down, that electric guitar solo actually manages to embody passive aggression. <laughs> Which I never, I never thought I'd hear in audio form. There's so much just great stuff like that. You feel, you know, when have I heard someone pull that kind of stunt? Mm. I just also love it because it reminds me of a whole bunch of things in passing that I like. Um, Nick Drake, it reminded me of. Mm. A Love's Forever Changes. Mm. There's that drifting music bed to it that doesn't always seem to have a, an exact structure. Mm -hmm. And also Tom Waits' Blood Money, some of the Oz Fritz stuff. Oh, definitely Tom Waits, actually, yeah. With those kind of smoky, ambient clarinet lines and stuff. Mm. Those are really beautiful as well. Mm. But the other thing that I... I really thought about with this and again this is the thing that so reminded me of that 50 ways to leave your lover thing is that so many of these songs are about very very small things they're little instants they're little vignettes mm. you get this kind of one flash of song that is in an instant trying to sum up a picture and then that's it mm. so it's almost like you're seeing a kind of an audio not quite a cartoon mm. but it reminded me actually of an old graphic novel in woodcuts called god's man have you ever heard of it? I haven't, actually. It's by an artist called Lind Ward, and he did a whole series of them. And basically, it's a whole graphic novel that's done entirely with woodcuts. Oh, wow. Black and white woodcuts. No text at all. Oh, wow. And it's all just these individual woodcuts telling a kind of a Faustian story. And it reminded me so much obliquely of this record because the songs made me feel like that. Like I was seeing this one thing mm. there was so little in some respects to take away from it and yet it was meant to mean so much in each of those individual frames. Yeah. I mean, the first song, it's got to be said, nothing happens. A man calls his friend, they agree to go to a bar together, they get to the bar. 
I don't think anything else happens in track one. <laughs> well, except he chews his way out of a door. That's true. That's true. He he has a piece of bread because he opened his fridge and it was a dark scene. God, so many good lines. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm going to go so far as to say, you know that Van Gogh painting of chairs outside a cafe? It's just an evening and there's chairs outside a cafe. That's it. Okay. And nothing happens in that painting either, but it's just a place you want to be for a moment. Yeah. It transports you to a mood and an evening and a place and... I don't know, maybe particularly for me, because I, I have my neon skyline. There's this wonderful mm. tiny bar in Berlin. Shout out to Das Kapital, which is, of course, what it's actually called. <laughs> because Berlin. But yeah, the sensations are so apparent. They're so worn on their sleeve that even without the tiny story that it had, yeah. I would listen to this album of just, I, I went to the bar and then I went home again. Just to inhabit that world. Oh, thank you, yes. I mean, it is extraordinarily evocative the way he uses his words to paint these scenes with the lightest of touch. Yes, you're so right. You know, the graphic artists I always rate most highly are those who can just do a couple of small squiggles on a page and all of a sudden they've conjured the essence of some mm. creature or, or scene or something and you go, how the hell did they do that with just two little squiggly lines? <laughs> yes, Exactly, yeah, where they've just shown the shadow and you fill in the rest. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe we are filling in the rest. I have to say, the other thing which really came through to me on, on repeated listens is one of the reasons it doesn't feel spoilable mm. is that it resists any easy answer or any easy description. Yeah. So the obvious questions here are, is the protagonist still in love with his ex? And the answer is kind of. Yeah. Is she still in love with him? The answer is kind of. Yeah. Do they have a good relationship? Kind of. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is she friends with Charlie, his friend? What well, kind of? Yeah. And the album lives in that kind of. Yes. Like there's implications early on that the character maybe drinks too much, but maybe not. Yeah. He doesn't think so. I mean, that's part of the tension of it too, mm. is that you're never quite sure which side of an argument or which side of an emotion someone's going to land, whether they're going to properly kick off into a big argument or whether they're going to fold and then capitulate or whether they're going to... This, this constant thing of thinking, is something new going to happen? Is something about to change? You're not quite sure what's going to develop. I love that about it. It's unstable. Except for the bass and the drums, which are brilliant. <laughs> you know, we've barely talked about the music. And the thing is, actually, it's a credit to the quality of the lyrics and the songwriting in general that you can have bass playing and drumming of that quality and you're not paying attention to it. Right. Because it's really, really good. And it's a lovely kind of really dry 70s style recorded in a duvet kind of sound. It's a thunky bass, isn't it? It's just a lovely sounding record as well as it is a, a great songwritten record. I was especially excited to send this one to you because you've told me in the past that you're not much of a lyrics person. Ah, right. And so to send you something which to me is a lyrical piece. The lyrics are everything. I was really interested to get your thoughts and feelings on that. Yeah, you've totally sold me on it. It's great. Amazing. I must listen to it again, actually. Honestly, talking about it now, all I want to do... <laughs> <laughs> He's put it on my headphones and just go for another time around. So in my commendation of this piece to you listeners, I know that anytime I hear about a truly great piece of work, my first instinct is to avoid it. Because <laughs> it just sounds like hard work. Masterpieces are hard work. Yes. It's going to be all worthy and brilliant and life-changing. You know what? Frankly, my life is comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and change isn't. So... I still, I, okay, this is a real confession. I still haven't listened to Jacqueline Dupuy's, um Elgar's Cello Concerto. Right. Because it's 
the one yeah. that you listen to. I've listened to other versions of it. And I love it. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like I need to get to the right place before I can earn the Jacqueline Dupre one. Right. I would beg you, whoever you are, wherever you're listening to this, not to do that with this album. Just go and listen. And actually, having heard it on my studio speakers, yeah. I would recommend listening to it on headphones, bizarrely. Oh, interesting. How's that? Because although it sounds better on speakers... I wouldn't make them my first listen because the lyrics come through clearer, I bet, on headphones. They do. Now, it's also got to be said, part of Andy Schauf's appeal is he's got this very small-town Canadian accent, which is adorable and gorgeous, but strong. Yeah. And so, yeah, on, on my first listen, I missed a bunch of lyrics. I got a kind of very impressionist painting of what was going on. Mm. Um, but even that's enough to kind of send you back for a second time around. I mean, nothing's clear in the lyrics anyway overall, so it's like... <laughs> nothing's clear in the story! Maybe it doesn't matter if you actually miss <laughs> <laughs> Which means it's time once again to say goodbye. <laughs> Parting being such sweet sorrow, but thank you so much for listening with us. We have just time to thank our sponsor for this week. Tell me more, John. Do you find it hard to get things done? Are there items on your to-do list which continue to stay there? Well, mm. there's a solution. Continue to stay there. It's my oh, it's the only language I speak as well, which makes it even worse. <laughs> Are there items on your to-do list which just won't leave there? Post-it notes has the solution. Oh wow, excellent. With the new post-it notes. <laughs> the marketing is difficult, but they promised me they've got on it. <laughs> now, as soon as you remove one of these notes, from the larger pad, it starts playing a random note, loudly. <laughs> Until such a time as, uh, as this task is completed, you rip up the post-it note and the note stops. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, yeah. A lot of the time, these are going to be building into like beautiful chords that are going to accompany me through my day. <laughs> no, thanks to microtonal technology, ah. post-it guarantees that no two notes will be a perfect interval apart. That's tremendous technology. Isn't it just? So Post-it says you can take the screaming dissonance inside your head and bring it into your office. Did they do that by feeding an AI engine with Eurovision entries? <laughs> I think that's a joint sponsorship just waiting to happen. <laughs> um, and with that, I will tell you that our Twitter is twitter.com forward slash PSTB tweets. Our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash PSTB books. And Mike, what's that website and email? Our website is www.projectstudioteabreak.com. So true. And our email is tbreak at projectstudioteabreak.com. We're getting better at this! Of course, if you would like to support this independent podcast and see our selection of fabulous extra bonus content. Magnificent it is. Including this month, we've been talking about uh, Frozen 2 and Star Wars 9 and... <laughs> Gene Pitney's final gig in Cardiff. Oh, that's a crazy story. Yes, and we've been doing in-depth PSTB news analysis of the Capo Elevator and Universal Audio's Luna. Mm -hmm. If you would like to see all this bonus content, then head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Project Studio Tea Break. We will see you there. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Until next time, ta-ra, pets. Ta-ra! Ta-ra!